Welcome to the State Bar of Texas podcast, your monthly source for conversations and curated content to improve your law practice with your host, Rocky Deer. Hi, and welcome to a very special episode of the State Bar of Texas podcast. Every month, when we as Texas attorneys open our copy of the Texas Bar Journal, we see some familiar categories of content. Let's get the elephant out of the room and acknowledge that most of us first take a peek at the disciplinary actions. I do that too, guilty as charged. We then often peruse the on the move section to see what's been going on or any of our friends in there. Then we eagerly look to see what might come our way in terms of a humor column. Speaking of humor, the Honorable Jerry Buckmeyer will forever be the chuckle champion of the Texas Bar Journal. I'm putting that out there. There will never be another like him. He's the best ever. No one can fill his shoes, etc. Ah, see what I did there? Yeah, you got to have your coffee before tuning into this podcast. But no, seriously, one of my favorite TBJ columns is the president's message. It's filled with nuggets of inspiration and insight into what the state bar is working on. For most of us, myself included, we see the column, read it, and then move on, oblivious to the mountains of effort involved in leading the state bar. The effort, however, is formidable. What I find remarkable, however, is that we actually find attorneys who want to undertake the presidency. What's more, those state bar presidents represent some of the best and brightest among us. And if that's not enough, there's an actual competition to hold the office. Yes, each year, two or more candidates vie for the presidency. And all Texas licensed lawyers who are active and in good standing with the state bar get to cast their votes to determine who will be the next president-elect of the state bar of Texas. This year, voting will take place from April 1st through April 30th, 2021. State bar members can vote either online or by paper ballot. We'll be voting for the attorney who will serve as president-elect from June 2021 to June 2022. That person will then assume the presidency from June 2022 until June 2023. We at the podcast figured you'd like to meet this year's incredible candidates, and they truly are extraordinary individuals. It is therefore my distinct honor to welcome to the podcast, in alphabetical order, Sarah Dysart of San Antonio and Laura Gibson of Houston. Sarah and Laura, thank you both for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed the opportunity to speak to your members. Absolutely. Well, you know, let's let's start by getting to know a little bit about both of you. So let's let's have you tell us first your practice area, you know, what kind of law you practice. Second, your bar service. And three, why in the world you want to be state bar president? That's a lot of work. So, Sarah, let's start with you. Thank you, Rocky. I am a so practitioner from San Antonio and I am board certified in commercial real estate law. I represent buyers sellers, borrowers, and lenders, and developers of commercial property, often in pretty highly complex transactions. My service to the bar goes back to my being a young lawyer from uh, my participation with the Women's Bar Association in the 80s when we were asked, why do you even have to have a Women's Bar Association? Wow. <laughs> to uh, to uh, speaking with the young lawyers at the uh, Leadership Academy through Reptile. And what I know through all of this is service to the bar defines the profession. And it really has turned my career into a career and not a job. And so why do I want to be state bar president? Yeah, why? (laughs) Uh, Yes, yes. I want to make the case for service to the bar. 
I want to encourage all Texas attorneys to actively participate at the local and state bar levels, stressing that not only does the bar need every Texas attorney, but every Texas attorney really will benefit from participation with the bar. I think it enhances our professionalism, it broadens our perspective, and it creates a network of friends throughout Texas. Now, Laura, it's it's your turn. First, your practice. Second, your bar service. And then three, why you want to do this. So, Rocky, I've been practicing for 36 years. I've only worked three places. The first was a mid-sized firm in Texas where I made partner. And then I had an opportunity to start my own firm in 1993. Did that for almost um, 23 years before I joined a large law firm where I work at the Houston office of a large law firm. So it's it's kind of less support than I got at my own law firm uh, because I'm a small fish in, in a big organization. Um, I, I'm at heart a trial lawyer. I was a commercial litigator at uh, Lock Lord. And then when I had my own firm, which was Ogden, Gibson, Brooks, Longoria, and Hall, I had an opportunity to do a lot of employment work. So I sat for and passed the uh, certification exam for the labor and employment certification and have been certified in that in, since 2001. And so I get more traditional uh, litigation that's related to employment, but at my heart, I love all kinds of litigation and that's where my passion is. You like the dance, the litigation dance. I like solving problems and fixing uh, problems. I wish people would call me before they got in a lawsuit. I'd be out of a job, <laughs> but I'd be happier. It's kind of <laughs> ironic because I'm a really efficient person and the litigation process is the least efficient process known to man. So go figure. In terms of why I'm serving, I think it's really hard to be a lawyer. Um, I've had a super hard day today. I'm practicing and serving my clients in the midst of this remote campaign. And I know how hard it is to be a lawyer. And so I think I have some programs that I can uh, roll out that will help lawyers. The first one's called All Rise, and it's basically a mentorship program for young lawyers who will be paired with people about their same level in their community. And they'll have the opportunity to network with one another. And then on a periodic basis, the bar will provide programming in their communities where they'll get to know other members of cohorts. So they'll get to know other young lawyers and they'll also get to meet seasoned lawyers who can help them in their practice. The second program I wanna have is something called We Care. You know, we've got a lot of lawyers struggling. They were struggling before the pandemic and they're struggling even more with the pandemic. And I feel like if we reached out to some lawyers who, who we thought might be at risk for death by suicide, to let them know that the bar cared, we could change things. There was a study done and simply by writing we care letters periodically, the death by suicide rate was cut in half. The final program I'd like to unveil is something I'm calling Lean On Me Grievance Support Program. And that would enable our lawyers to designate a grievance support attorney. So Rocky, let's say I had a grievance filed against me and I didn't respond to that grievance. If I designated you as my grievance support attorney, the bar could call you and say, hey, Rocky, Laura's had a grievance filed against her. Would you call and encourage her to file a response? And then I think with your help, you would be able to help me through it and confront this issue so that I filed a response with the bar. And literally 50% of the litigation that the state bar sees in the grievance area is as a result of lawyers who don't file a response to the grievance. 
So those are three simple programs that I think we can unveil that would make the lives of the lawyers a lot better in the state of Texas and also help the public. You mentioned, Laura, about COVID-19 and the pandemic and the effect it's having on people. So I think most of us would agree COVID-19 has been kind of a game changer for the legal profession as well. Things going online and all the surrounding things that have come from from this pandemic. By the time either of you takes office, the COVID lockdowns should hopefully be way, way in our rearview mirror. But what should the state bar do to help lawyers navigate a post-COVID legal landscape? So Laura, we'll start with you. And then Sarah, it'll be your turn. I think it's all about law practice management, right? I mean, change happens and change is inevitable. And all that I see is that change is accelerating and COVID-19 has caused it to accelerate. So it's causing us all to have to learn new tricks. You know, as a 36-year lawyer, it's hard to learn new tricks. But I think if the state bar focused on law practice management techniques and training programs, we could master the new skills we need to have uh, so that we aren't the cat guy that was on your last podcast where our, <laughs> our filters on our Zoom call. You know, I had a, I had a hearing recently where there was somebody participating who was a minority shareholder of my client. He apparently was reclining on the couch during the hearing. Mm. I couldn't see him because I had the Zoom on speaker view. But the judge called this person out and got very upset because he was disrespecting the, you know, the importance of a courtroom and our justice system. You know, maybe we could work on teaching us the tips we need to be facile and and resilient in adapting to all of these practices that I think will be with us for a long time. Okay, so so Sarah, how about you? What, what do you think the post-COVID landscape is going to look like for lawyers, and how do we how do we as a state bar kind of help lawyers navigate that? Sure, no question. We have all experienced social isolation and financial challenges. And we've wrestled with the use of technology as we've conferred, mediated, and argued before courts facing our computers. I think the state bar are going to have to really up its ante on providing resources to state bar members. I think TLAP is going to need additional resources, the Texas Lawyers Assistance Program, as they reach out to attorneys that have increased issues dealing with depression, stress, addictions. One of my programs that I'm talking about is a possibility of providing a financial wisdom program that could be offered through the law office management courses, where I see the opportunity to provide guidance and resources to all Texas attorneys. I even see the possibility of putting together a fund you know, that could be distributed through grants or low-interest loans to help attorneys keep their law offices open. I also think that we need to be very mindful of working with the Supreme Court to discuss how we go back to in-person appearances versus the continued use of of Zoom hearings, which, you know, we certainly have found to be um, effective When the pandemic hit, I had three cases in Williamson County dealing with the restraining of a foreclosure. And I had the luxury of arguing those cases sitting here at my computer, where without that, I would have had to travel to Williamson County three times. Mm -hmm. And so I do think we're going to have the increased use of appearances But we want to be mindful of the effectiveness of in-person gatherings 
whether it's a court appearance or mediation or negotiation. One thing that strikes me about this year's president-elect candidates, the two of you, is we've got two very accomplished women candidates going head to head. And so this, this next question, you know, Sarah, maybe you want to start us off on this is talk to us about diversity and inclusion in the bar. And, you know, I, 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 there was a comment earlier about the 1980s and, you know, why do we even need a women, a women's bar group, you know, back then. And it, it kind of reminds me of the movie nine to five (laughs) with Dolly Parton and Lily Tomlin. And it's like, what a, we've come so far, but yet, there's still this issue of diversity and inclusion that I think people are still kind of struggling with. So I think the listeners would love to hear your respective thoughts on that. So Sarah, start us out with diversity and inclusion, your thoughts and what the state bar can and should be doing in that regard. Okay. I I think diversity and inclusion is sort of the elephant in the room. And, and I think we've all experienced some discrimination in our, in our lives, in our practice. And uh, one of the stories I talk about as a young lawyer, I was with a law firm, and I had gone to a San Antonio Bar Association luncheon. I'm sitting there, and there's an unknown attorney sitting next to me, a gentleman, and he strikes up the conversation. And it, the kind of the short story is, he, get, he says, I don't like women lawyers. I don't even <laughs> like women on my juries. Wow. And okay. and quite and and he he actually was more elaborate than that, and I walked away thinking, "Wow, that's interesting," but I've always sort of kind of snickered. I wonder how this gentleman felt when we had our first all female Fourth Court of Appeals three times now, you know. So I I do think you know we we've had some major steps. We've gone from a gentleman thinking it was just fine to tell this young woman lawyer that there really wasn't a place for her at the table to having an all-female fourth court of appeals. And I think that, you know, right now, St. Mary's Law School is 51% women. Mm. A third of my class were women. There was a big uptick of female law students in the late 1970s. But, you know, there's still challenges and you know, women attorneys, we, we, we act differently. We practice law differently at some levels. We market differently. And that's a whole nother set of topics. And then we get into, you know, minorities, ethnics, you know, other forms of differences that all deserve a place at the table. And I have a lot of respect for the state bar in addressing this issue through the years. You know, the Council of Minority Affairs, the, you know, the different... SBOT leadership, you know, an emphasis of, you know, let's bring more people to the table. And I really think that is the answer. The answer is more participation, more interaction, because as people interact, they not only come to understand each other, they come to appreciate each other. And and that's really what I'm all about is just you know, let's have that conversation. Let's work together. Let's identify issues and let's work for positive, positive responses. Laura, how about you? What, what, what are your thoughts on diversity and inclusion and what the state bar can or should be doing in that regard? You know, I was so fortunate. I was invited to talk at the Texas Minority Council program when I was a, a committee member on the Advertising Review Committee. 
And I, I hadn't heard of the TMCP before that time. This was many years ago, maybe maybe even 30 years ago. But I attended the, the event in Houston and I was so amazed because it was unlike any CLE I'd ever been to. Instead of people sitting at rows of tables looking forward or in their cell phone, people sit at round tables and their networking breaks and there's a a networking opportunity on the Wednesday of the event. Um, they're great CLEs all day Thursday. There's You get to go out. Uh, we, we created a, I actually suggested the Dine Around program because after I, after I was a speaker there, I volunteered to be on the steering committee. I, I guess between that, I actually attended just as a, an attendee a couple of times. And what I found was that at the end of the day on Thursday, Everybody that was in the know went out with other people who knew other people to dinner. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I went back to my hotel room because I didn't know a lot of people. And I thought that's just such a waste that we have people going back to their hotel room because they don't know others. So at my first meeting on the steering committee, I suggested we create a diner round, which involved the steering committee finding restaurants close to the hotel, putting out sign-up sheets where everybody signed up. You had eight to 10 people, everybody responsible for their own meal. And after the, the CLE was over, the groups met in the hotel, Ubered or shared cars and went over to the restaurant, got to meet people they didn't know, came back to the hotel about the same time. And everybody wanted to participate in the casino party because now everyone was arriving at the same time. So there was none of that awkwardness of being the only person there waiting for the popular kids to show up. You know, I just think that TMCP is the best program in the country. And a lot of places model it. But I think I, I think there are other ways. Um, you know, when I was president of the Houston Bar Association, I was able to select 20 ambassadors. And so I selected diverse lawyers to have an opportunity to go out and reach the people in our membership and welcome them to our group. I just think this summer when we had the marathon meeting where we had so many people speak, I, I watched it. I was on vacation, but I listened and watched the, uh, the entire thing. And I, I identified, identified 32 people who I thought would be excellent bar leaders who were very diverse. And I contacted them and I said, hey, I'd like for you to get involved. Because a lot of times somebody thinks that if they're qualified to do something, somebody's going to tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, run for the board. Well, I'll dispel you of that notion. No one does that because everybody's mm. too busy thinking about themselves. But I think it's incumbent upon leaders to see who who has the time and the energy and the talent, who is diverse, that can add to our profession. And I'll end by saying my my woman's story, which I think you can use to to your advantage, is that a lot of times people don't think I'm a lawyer because I'm a woman. And I remember taking a deposition on a Saturday in a case where we were right before trial and they brought in a partner who had not been in any of the other depositions I wheeled my briefcase in on my wheelies. I sat down at the end of the conference table near, I mean, where I would take the deposition and the lawyer kept preparing his expert witness. And I thought, that's so odd. Doesn't he think (laughs) I can do something with that? But I sat there and I listened. I thought, that's just so bold. And after about eight minutes, he yelled out, I won't say the person's name. I'll I'll give you a different name. Mindy, call Laura, find out why she's late. And I said, that would be me. He turned bright red and he was never on his game for the rest of the deposition because he'd been sitting there for eight minutes thinking I was the court reporter. So sometimes it works to your advantage. But 
you know, as you said, we've got two women uh, running for state bar president-elect, and we can't go wrong. With either of us, the bar is going to be in good hands. Well, let me ask you both this question. And since since we do have this very fortuitous situation of two incredible women running for the same position, what do you think is, well, first of all, is there something unique? I mean, I think, Sarah, you'd said earlier that women bring a different type of leadership and a different view. So, you know, Laura, this would be your chance to kind of weigh in. Do you agree with that? But the, really the question is, if there is, if there is something distinct about female leadership versus male leadership, and I understand there's a lot of generalizations in that dichotomy, but if there is something unique, what do you think that is? What do you think is, is different about the way women approach leadership versus men? So Laura, let's start with you. And then Sarah, you can kind of pick up from there. So I think women are more empathetic. Women think about how people feel. So when I chaired the HBA labor and employment section, what I had noticed before I was the chair was that people would walk in and the people who knew everybody would talk to one another and they wouldn't talk to anybody else in the room. And the people who were on the council would put their, you know, their bags or their purses or their coats on the center table in the middle of the room as though they were, you know, the anointed. And no one meant anything bad by it, but I just saw people who were looking around the room, trying to figure out a place to sit, trying to find somebody they could talk to and not feel uncomfortable. And so when I became the chair, what I said to the council members is, I want you to treat this like it's an event at your home, that you are hosting a, a luncheon at your home. And I want you not to sit with other council members, but I want you to go and introduce yourself to somebody you don't know. And then introduce that person to everybody else you do know. So I guess in my view, the strongest thing I hope to accomplish if I'm elected as president-elect is to create a sense of community among our members. There is no firm that's a lawyer that's better than one another. You know, the grass is always greener on the other side of the street. No matter where you practice, your job is hard. But you're all welcome. We are all welcome. And I think if if women are thinking about how to get other people involved and how to make them feel more welcome, people are going to be more excited about and interested in being part of that community. So I, I think that we're just empathetic. I think that's what it boils down to. Sarah, how about you? What's your what's your view on that on that topic? I'd be interested in your thoughts as well. Sure. I, as a follow up, I think another way of saying that is that women are more supportive of others. And the example I have is um, I play a little bit of golf. Not great, but I've I've been hacking on the golf course for years. And I've played with women. I've played with men. And my experience is when I play with women, we stand there and we say, great shot. Oh, that was the best shot ever. When you get out with her with guys, and this is a generality, it's like a spotty five on the first hole. You know, and Mm. so it's that competitiveness that kind of just steps in. And (laughs) and I really think that's reflective in leadership. I think women, you know, can be as competitive and combative as she needs to be for the circumstances. But I think we generally are looking for a way to support others and bring them along with us. And and we've been trained for that, you know, because that's that's how we've gotten here, to be quite honest. It's funny because, I mean, as, as a guy, I'll tell you that when we do that whole thing, first of all, I don't play golf because 
I played golf once and I had this great swing and I was looking to see how far my ball went and it was still on the ground. I mean, I, I didn't <laughs> even, I didn't even hit it. The golf gods do not like me, but whenever I do that kind of stuff, it's really more of like a bonding thing. It's just the way we kind of relate and bond, but I, it, it never occurred that, oh wait, that's not, that's not supportive. So that's, it's, it's, it's interesting when you guys talk about empathy and supporting, let's switch gears for a moment. And maybe now that we're on the topic of empathy and support, let's, let's maybe talk about access to justice. I know you both have very strong views on that. So Laura, let's, let's start with you and talk about this topic of access to justice. Why do you think it's important? And what do we as a state bar and as Texas lawyers need to do to address it? Well, our, our democracy and our sense of justice won't continue if people who can't afford a lawyer don't have access to justice. And, you know, we go to law school for three years to be trained as a lawyer, and we can't expect someone else to know how to deal with the justice system. When Frank Stevenson was president of the state bar, he created TOGI, which stands for the Texas Opportunity and Justice Incubator Program. And it's this wonderful idea of providing young lawyers something they need, which is training, mentorship, access to forms and technology. And those are offered to them if they participate in the TOGI program and agree to provide services to those citizens who may be above the income level to qualify for legal aid, but not wealthy enough to be able to get legal services. And so TOGI is just an incredible program at the beginning of last year, it's gone into a digital community. And so now it has the power to reach even more lawyers and even more members of the public in remote geographic areas. So in my view, TOGI is a win-win. Lawyers get training. Lawyers get uh, experience. You know, Malcolm Gladwell says you need, just need to have 10,000 hours of experience in order to right. be accomplished at anything. And so people say, well, how do I get experience when I don't have any clients? How do I get experience if I can't get a job with a big firm? TOGI is the way you get that experience. And you've got a clientele that you're helping who's not going to be ragging on you at every moment and requesting that you you return the call in three seconds. They're going to be grateful that they're getting legal services at at a reduced cost. And so everybody's going to be happy. And those young lawyers grow up to, to be better lawyers. And we just need to keep filling the pipeline with the TOGI participants so that we can provide services to those who can't afford them. Because, I mean, I've had I've had clients who are lawyers, uh, very wealthy lawyers. And it's interesting that when they start seeing the hourly rates that (laughs) add up, you know, they're starting to question whether they can afford it. You know, and that goes back to the empathy, you know, we put, you know, walk a mile in in our, our the public shoes. You know, would we be willing to pay what we have to pay for? Uh, what a lawyer does. I mean, I think we're pricing ourselves out of the market and it's it's a difficult situation, but we've got to keep our eyes on the importance of serving the public. And pro bono work is definitely something the bar should be behind and lawyers should be behind. It's interesting you say that because I recall the Honorable Barefoot Sanders in Dallas had once addressed the Dallas Bar Association and he had said the very same thing. So that our, the, and this was, this was in the 1990s. He said, the problem with our profession is that most of us in this room cannot afford to hire ourselves. And so it kind of goes back. absolutely accurate. It goes back to that, that same thing. And, and Judge Sanders is, he's one of my, one of my faves. So I always remember that. So now, Sarah, how about you? Talk to us about access to justice, your thoughts on it. And what do we as a state bar need to do to advance that? 
Well, first of all, it's a constitutional right, and it's part of our mission statement to provide access to justice. And I'm a strong proponent of it. I have supported it financially. I have supported it through my efforts. And in fact, last summer, the San Antonio Legal Services Association put together a remote wills clinic where over 300 attorneys volunteered to provide wills and directives to first responders. And uh, I was part of the committee that put that together and uh, made the phone calls and sent the emails over the weekend to help recruit those 300 Texas attorneys. And so, you know, when I think about access to justice, I think attorneys are uniquely qualified to provide that service. We are licensed attorneys and have the knowledge and the skill set to meet these needs. And I, I think that every attorney should find their own way to do that. And in fact, I, um, I was doing some research and I came across a 2000 resolution of the State Bar Board of Directors that basically very generally defined the providing of pro bono legal services that included providing the work and also contributing financially. And they put together an aspirational goal of 50 hours for attorneys to give every year. Well, when I think about that, you know, most Texas attorneys do not know about that resolution, but I think most Texas attorneys exceed that aspirational standard. And I believe that because every bar association that I've worked with has provided not only an emphasis for access to justice, but also ways to participate and contribute. Not to mention what we just do on our own, giving people a hand up. And so, and think about the Texas Bar Foundation, mm -hmm. you know, all the members who contribute year in and year out, knowing that grants will be made to provide access to justice. And so my belief is the state bar should really publicize the outstanding work Texas attorneys do year in and year out. And in fact, in the words of uh, Chief Justice Hardberger on another matter, I think what Texas lawyers do providing access to justice is the perfect antidote for every lawyer joke. <laughs> Let's pretend it's the year 2041. Now that requires some quick math. That's 20 years <laughs> in the future, right? <laughs> it's, it's like, I got a JD, so I wouldn't have to do that. But it's the year 2041. Where do you see the practice of law at that point? And what should our state bar do now to make your vision a reality? Sarah, why don't you start us off on that one? Okay, so to go back in time, about 20 years ago, I was at a state bar CLE, and there was a luncheon speaker, and, and he was a professor, and he talked about the internet and emails <laughs> and chat rooms, and he dared to tell this audience that in 10 years, we would not be taking phone calls, that we would be communicating by email, and even going beyond that in chat rooms. Fax he, machines. Oh, my goodness. Well, well, this, well, fax <laughs> machines were already in place, but this was the whole idea of, of the Internet, right? right? But, you know, he wasn't so clairvoyant to talk about Zoom as we sit sure. here today. And so no question. I mean, the advancement in technology since I became a lawyer in 1981 to today is just breathtaking. I mean, 
I got my job on the Fourth Court of Appeals fulfilling at least one condition, and that was that I could type on a selectric typewriter my memos because they didn't have staff to do it for us. <laughs> it was 1992 when I got right. on a notebook computer, and now today here I am talking to you and Laura on my computer. And so, you know, it's really kind of scary to think about what the practice of law is going to look like in 20 years. I mean, as it is, our clients expect us pretty much to push a button and deliver the document. So I am not that clairvoyant either, but no question, one of the main things the state bar can do is keep up with technology and provide assistance to all Texas attorneys. And, you know, and we've done that. I, you know, I am so impressed, like, by Casemaker and Fastcase. You know, I can mm-hmm. sit at my computer and do research by logging into the State Bar website. I mean, that is just great. And who knows what else that will be able to provide to Texas attorneys by staying up with technology. Laura, how about you? 2041, where are we and what do we do now to make your vision a reality? Uh, It will be different. In 2041, it will be very different than what we are doing right now. I guarantee you that. First of all, hopefully we're all retired by then. That's, that's, hopefully we're not, we're not in the thick of it. But if you've looked at the timelines of how rapidly change is occurring, we know it's going to change and it would be impossible for us to predict what's going to be happening in 2021. But we can all be comforted by the fact that the state bar already has the tools that we as lawyers need to be prepared for that. I kind of like to think about what did I do when I went from being able to work at the office, which is where I, I was most um, comfortable. Mm. I'm, I kind of think of myself as an all on or an all off person. So that doesn't mean I didn't, I don't and didn't work weekends at the office, but I always went to the office to do that. And so when I, a year ago, literally uh, this week, um, we got banished to stay home uh, during COVID-19. And I thought, how am I going to do this? This is really, I I don't know how I'm going to do it. And I thought, okay, but I do know I need my rest. I need to exercise. I need to eat good food. I need to keep my faith. I need to surround myself, whether it's remotely, by phone, obviously it's not in person, with people who make me feel better about things and make me realize that with the support of all those things, I can accomplish it. And so in my view, it's a continuation of the wellness programs that the State Bar has. I mean, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but Chris Ritter and his team have done an excellent job putting on programs to help lawyers address wellness issues. We just have to not drink too much, not eat too much, not do things that are bad for us and get get rest and we're going to be fine. But the wellness programs, the law practice management programs, I remember one time um, when I was on a committee of the state bar, we put on a, a CLE program. I think it was in 2010 or 11 after the financial crisis where a lot of jobs were going away. And so we, we put on a, a, a coach who talked about how you can transfer the skills you have as a lawyer to doing other things. And it involved one-on-one coaching with this coach. I mean, the program sold out in something like 30 minutes. Uh, It was offered in three cities in the state of Texas. I mean, we've got really smart people as lawyers and the the people that are on the leadership team of the state bar in terms of our executive director and all of the other fine lawyers who find, find people who help support the Texas bar. 
they're constantly striving and thinking about what can we do to make the lawyers in our state have a better job and easier life. So the state bar will continue to do that. And we just all have to, to know that we're resilient and that no matter what comes our way, we can deal with it. And the state bar will support us all in doing so. We are running to the, to the last few minutes that we're going to have here. And I, I wanted to I wanted to squeeze in a question. And this is, this is one of those funky questions. So I'm letting you know ahead of time. So that way you're not surprised. And Laura, you get to go first. So yay. yay you, and if you need to take a second to think about it, that's, that's totally fine. But I think this will be an easy question, but I think it's a fun question. So let's pretend for a moment that you're not running for state bar president elect. If you had to campaign for your opponent, what would you say about her? I would say that uh, Sarah, I don't take, it just doesn't take me any It didn't time. take you at all. I, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. That, you just, this. you jumped right into that. You go. Yeah, all right. Sarah is a super hard worker. She's, um, she's people in the reptile community love Sarah. She has taught so many CLE programs. She's kind hearted. She's generous. She's nice. She's authentic. She's strong. She's articulate. As I said earlier, no matter who wins this campaign, the state bar and the lawyers of the state of Texas are in good shape because we cannot go wrong with Sarah Dysart. Wow. wow. Okay. Well, Sarah, that's a that's a tall order to <laughs> fill. What, what would you say about Laura if you were campaigning for her? I would say everything the same except for maybe she's not so well known with reptile, okay, which is <laughs> which is the real estate probate and trust section. But I I will also add that Laura is a leader, and Laura has been at the helm of the state bar in her capacity as a chair, and she and I served together as director, and you know we we're very congenial. You know I think she has a lot to offer the bar. And I love that she values her family so much. I love the postings of your grandkids, Laura. And I agree with Laura. The state bar is only going to win this year. And, you know, if Laura wins, I will be there to support her. And I know that if I should win, she will be there to support me. And the nice thing about both of us running, it gets us the both the opportunity to tell our stories so that especially women attorneys can say, I can do that too, you know, and that's, that's the example that both of us are setting and we will continue to work together because that's what we've done in the past. Well, it's so nice to hear you both full of nice words for your opponent. It reminds me of a U.S. presidential election. No, it doesn't. Absolutely <laughs> not, not. not. Never. No, never. no, it's, it's, it's like two women on the golf course. Hey, there you go. I like that. Okay. We're, you guys are bringing up these golf analogies that I have no experience in. I mean, have some empathy for crying have, out loud. Have you, have you heard me mention the word golf? <laughs> it sounds like, sounds like Laura, maybe you and I need to play together because we can, we can both no, sit there. No, maybe and, we'll have a, go have a beer and watch somebody that, that's, else We'll play. just watch the rest of these people in their golf carts. It'll, it'll be great. But unfortunately we are at that point. I wish we could keep talking. This is, this has been a lot of fun, but Sarah Dysart, Laura Gibson, thank you both, not only for your bar service, but for stepping up and being willing to make this year's choice for president-elect such a difficult one for all of us. Thank you both for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Rocky. It's been a pleasure. Laura, good to see you. Great to see you, Sarah. Thank you. And of course, remember, folks, the voting will take place from April 1st through April 30th, 2021. You can do it online. You can do it in paper ballot. You have to choose one. You don't get to have two votes. So let's make that very clear up front. But of course, I do want to thank you for tuning in. And I want to encourage you to stay safe and make sure you follow all applicable orders. 
and customs for dealing with COVID-19. And please advise your clients and loved ones to do the same. This situation is changing fluidly and quickly, as we all know. So please seek out legal counsel if you have a question. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Until next time, remember, life's a journey, folks. I'm Rocky Deer, signing off. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Go to texasbar.com slash podcasts. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Find both the State Bar of Texas and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, the State Bar of Texas, Legal Talk Network, or their respective officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, or subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.